pretend he's mightier than the sword. My tagline is your voice heard through the written word. That is what I love to provide for my clients, content writing, blog writing, and other social media or marketing initiatives they need in the written word to promote what makes them better and different from others in their profession. Creating a robust narrative that fully captures their why has everything to do with the content that promotes their brand image and area of expertise. From pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's the Communication Commandments, a presentation of Boston Edits. Now here's your host, Kim Calvi. Thank you for tuning in to this segment of Communication Commandments. Joining us today, we have another great guest, Amy Mariani of Mariani Mediation Services, who will spend time sharing with us what her business is known for, how that service benefits her clients, and what makes her expertise better and different from others in the same service area. Amy, thank you for being here today. Kim, it's a pleasure to be here. So let's launch right into it. I'm dying to hear so much more than I already know about you. And I'm sure our listeners will too. Can you please give our audience a little bit of your background? Sure. I tried cases for over 20 years in a variety of practice settings, ending most recently as a partner in a boutique law firm, the largest women and minority-owned law firm in the New England area, representing Fortune 250 companies for the most part. Changes in the legal industry after 2008 timeframe made our business model a little less desirable. So rather than, you know, pivot and start over with a brand new base of clients. My partner, who was in his early 60s, decided to retire, and I decided to move on to what I discovered was my new love, which was mediation. That's excellent. I mean, that, so everything lined up for you. It really did. The timing couldn't have been better. You know, my, my partner was starting to wind down his practice, and I was starting to think about what did I want to do after my kids had graduated high school and moved on to college. So in the early 2010s, I got trained as a volunteer mediator, started doing some of that work and absolutely loved it, began to build it into my practice and thought, you know, this is a really great way to take something that I enjoy, take my skill set and do something that's going to let me actually take a vacation without a laptop once my kids are out of college. Excellent priority, I would say. Definitely. So now going from being a litigator to a mediator, was that transition easy? I mean, from practicing law to facilitating as a mediator, I assume there had to have been some sweet spots that drew you to mediation apart from just the newfound love. Yeah, no, there are definitely some things that translate pretty easily. And then there are some things that are a little bit tricky for a lawyer trying to transition over to a mediator. You know, as a result of my experiences as a trial lawyer, it's pretty easy for me to do the analytical side of, of a mediation. It's also easy for me to build rapport with the parties and their lawyers because I've got a lot of experience uh, in the areas that they're dealing with and in the types of cases that they're handling. And I'm using basically the same analytical skills that I used as a lawyer to help both sides assess their options. So, you know, really in any personal injury, employment or, or business case, I walk into those and I'm talking the language that the parties already know and are familiar with. The trickier side for me was shifting my mindset from being an advocate to becoming a neutral because mm -hmm. you do have to think differently. You have to speak differently and you have to make sure that you're not getting a little too assertive or aggressive mm -hmm. in the way you're communicating information. It needs to be presented as information as opposed to, I believe this, or I think this. Whereas if you're a lawyer in, in court advocating on behalf of your client, 
you want that passion. You want that advocacy coming through. Mm, I, I, I can see the difference. And the other thing too, I would think is that when you change your mindset that way, you're going, like you said, you're going more from being an, an advocate to a neutral. So litigator to peacemaker. But I would think that it, there's a careful nuance there that you have to make sure that you want to get both of the attorneys representing attorneys to buy into what you're saying. You, you want to make sure that they always feel like you are 100 percent neutral, that there is no bias. So that but I think that requires some very careful finessing on your part, some good communication. It definitely does. And that's one of the things that I like to tee up from the very beginning. I let everyone know that I'm going to be asking both sides some very difficult and very uncomfortable questions. And if they make them uncomfortable and make them feel like I'm challenging them and challenging their positions, that's part of my job. It doesn't mean that I'm taking one side or another. It means what I'm doing is helping them to really assess and analyze their positions in a way that they may not have done before. And that's not always easy for people. Hmm. Okay. So now you take that challenge and, and that's just the communication component of it. What about like a, the detail of a case? You know, maybe the parties themselves, if you don't feel like it's a good fit, even though you've communicated well, you still get some resistance, some pushback. What's, what's your next step then? Well, I do a lot of preparation before I even take a case on. I like to talk to the lawyers, and it's usually lawyers who hire me. I like to talk to them thoroughly about whether I'm the best fit for their particular case. And if I'm not the best fit, I have no hesitation and, and often do refer matters out. For example, if there's a complex tax scheme or regulatory scheme, like intellectual property that I don't understand fully, and that's going to require a lot of explanation to me in a way that's going to take away from the mediation, mm -hmm. I'll refer those cases out if I think that there's someone who is going to develop better rapport with the parties because of who they are, mm -hmm. I may refer the case out. I did that very recently where, you know, it's a case that I could easily do, mm -hmm. but I heard about the parties in this case and I immediately thought of another mediator who had a tremendous amount in common with these parties. And therefore would be able to develop personal rapport right off the bat and probably get the deal done in half to two thirds of the time that it would take me simply because there would already be that level of comfort, that level of familiarity mm -hmm. and that level of trust that, that exists because of the, the shared common interest that this this group of folks all has. Hmm. OK, that's interesting. And so what I'm seeing here so far is there's transferable skills, there's an adjusted mindset, but then also the way you tap into your intuition about how you how to get, get along with parties and, and maybe the fit belongs with somebody else. And I would think that that results in obviously trust among the attorneys that do hire you, but also mutual respect with other mediators. Very definitely. And, you know, I just got a case the other day from a mediator who thought I would be a better fit for a particular matter. So we've got a fairly tight knit community of mediators in Massachusetts and really nationally. Mm -hmm. And and we have no hesitation in, in directing work to one another if we think it best serves the resolution. Because really, my client, I view my client as being the resolution, the agreement, as opposed to the individuals. My job is to help both sides get to a point where they can walk away happier than they were before. They're, they're out of the stress, the, the mm -hmm. money suck, and and the overall level of discomfort that you end up with when you're dealing with mediation over a protracted period of time. So my job is getting them past all of that 
and being able to move on with their lives. And if somebody else is going to be able to do that better than I can in a particular circumstance, I view it as a disservice to the parties to take on a case that's really not the best fit for me. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's insightful and prudent of you, I would say. You know, terribly humble. Now, I've got a, I know this feels like a, a prosaic question, but I feel like I need to ask, how do you facilitate a mediation? I mean, you've had the communication, the attorneys are on board. What's next? Like, what are the academics of it, if you will? Sure. And, and that's a great question because most people, well, funny story, the first 10 or 15 calls that I took as a mediator um, mm-hmm. off of just the random website were from people looking for meditation services <laughs> rather than mediation services. <laughs> and I quickly noticed a typo in my website that, that was part of that problem. But you no, know, long story short, a mediation is a facility, a facilitated conversation. It's designed basically to get both parties to understand one another's positions better and ultimately to reach an agreement if both sides think that that's the best outcome uh, that they can reach. So sometimes that involves direct communication between the two sides with me sitting in and helping guide the discussion. Other times, and this is actually more frequent in litigated cases, I will meet with each side separately and discuss the pros and cons of various alternatives that are being debated and discussed, as well as explore why they're there. You know, why are people in this this conflict to begin with and what do they really want at the end of the day? You know, that really becomes a a critical issue in in attempting to resolve something, because if someone's there because they want to punish the other side or if someone's there because they want to assert power over the other side, it's going to be a lot harder to resolve that case. If they're there because they feel that they're doing the right thing and that they don't want someone else to get harmed in the way that they were harmed, then we need to talk about what are the costs and the benefits of proceeding. You know, what is this going to take out of your life and out of your mm. your time and treasure, as, as people like to call it, for you to continue pursuing the avenue you're pursuing versus these alternatives that might be available to you? So that's, that's the fun part of my job is diving into the why mm. and exploring various options with folks. Hmm. Okay. So now tap into the why, and that's the fun part of your job. Have you ever noticed that the attorney and the client differ on the why? Oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) It doesn't happen frequently, but it it does happen. And oftentimes it, it happens when the attorney has gotten to a point where they have evaluated the case and believe that the case really needs to be resolved because there are issues that make it difficult to try or if issues that make it difficult to obtain any kind of relief, even if they were to win, because in litigation, you need to prove two things. First of all, you have to prove that you you are right under the law. And secondly, in order to recover anything, you have to prove that you were harmed and, and you have to do that in a concrete way. So you can have the best case in the world, but if you can't prove that you were harmed, you could walk away with a dollar or $5 or $10 after spending a tremendous amount of time and money. So often what happens is lawyers will reach a point in the case where they say, okay, this really needs to be settled, but their clients aren't there yet, either psychologically mm-hmm. or because their their primary interest in pursuing the case is not the same as the lawyers. And that's where a mediator can step in and help the parties understand what the risks and benefits are of proceeding through litigation, what the risks and benefits are of accepting a settlement in a way that the lawyers can't always do because 
the lawyer is always an advocate. And if you lose your standing in your client's eyes of being an advocate and being mm -hmm. on their side, mm -hmm. it makes it really difficult to continue that relationship. Hmm. Okay. Now, you mentioned that sometimes you have to meet with parties separately. Have you ever had to just say, okay, we have to stop this mediation because as you've You've already gathered up the information to be to begin with, but new information has come to light that's a surprise to the attorney or the other side. And you may have to press the pause button and say, OK, we have to stop this and we've got to regroup and, you know, we've all got to kind of get through this new information that has to be digested before we can proceed further. That sometimes does happen. I like to try to avoid that by having thorough preparation sessions with the lawyers ahead of time. But oftentimes you will reach a, a circumstance in a mediation where one side springs new information on the other and it can derail things. And there are times where you can get it back on track, but then there are also times where it is important for the resolution that both parties take a step back, assess the information, and, you know, decide whether or not it makes sense to proceed with mediation at a further date. So I will suspend a mediation if I, I have that kind of circumstance. Sometimes it's a function of the parties just have not thought through what the logical consequences might be of certain courses of action. For example, in many of the cases that I work with, there are tax consequences. And if the attorneys and their clients have not thought about those tax consequences ahead of time, they may realize in the middle of a mediation, oh, you know, this, this deal is structured in a way that might cause some tax harm to one side or the other. We need to hit pause so we can talk to our respective accountants to understand what the implications are of this deal. And then sometimes you got to get back together and figure out how to structure it differently so that both sides can walk away with a beneficial as opposed to an adverse tax consequence. Oh, okay. Yeah, because that would be, that's significant uh, that somebody would want to consider that before agreeing. Either party, I would think, would want to agree to any any kind of a resolution because here's a question. If something like that is brought up at the very last minute, and the part, let's say the parties have agreed to whatever the settlement is. Mm -hmm. And then someone says, oh, by the way, there's this lien or there's this tax implication and the whole thing goes sideways. Has it, has it ever been, have you ever had an instance where one party or the other has said, okay, now we're at an impasse. I mean, maybe we have to start this whole thing over or, well, you know, we've gotten to this point and everybody seems to be happy to be agreeable so we can work through this little detail. D does it, has it, has it happened in both, both instances? Definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. it, it really depends on the level of comfort that people have with the deal that's been reached. Mm -hmm. There are going to be some cases where both parties are truly ready to move on. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, yeah, if something comes up, they'll figure a way through it. Then there are other deals where parties are not 100% confident in what they what the decision is that they've made. And those are the ones where you tend to have to really dig deep and make them circle back to why did they agree to the deal in the first place? If they've changed their mind about why they, they entered the deal in the first place, it can be a real tough sell to keep that deal in place. You just said somebody can change their mind after they've agreed? Well, I never like to let, let people out of the room without a signed document saying sure, of course. agreed to certain things. Uh, but, if right. you but verbally, they say, okay, right. sure, this is great. And then, and then five minutes later, they get cold feet, if you will. Yep. No, that, that happened to me just oh, about 10 days ago. I had a deal where both sides agreed to the essential terms. 
And then where you most commonly see it is when the other side starts adding language to the agreement. You know, so we, we agree that so-and-so is going to sell such and such for $100,000 to the other side. And then they say, yes, and I, now I want payment on this date with these terms. Then you end up negotiating all of those peripheral issues. You've agreed on the substance, mm-hmm. but those peripheral issues become where the parties show their hangups. So mm-hmm. I love to have the attorneys do as much of that work ahead of time as possible mm-hmm. so that we don't walk into those minefields. So if we know, for example, it's a personal injury case and there are going to be discussions about how the payments are going to be structured or who's going to get paid what and how much is going to be paid for medical liens and how much is going to be paid for attorney's fees. If they can talk ahead of time about those kinds of things in concept, or they can talk about particular clauses that they want included in a a settlement agreement like confidentiality and non-disparagement, if they've got all of those things worked out ahead of time and we're just working on the the numbers or you know the, the the bigger terms then that makes things go much more smoothly when it goes from concept to execution you mentioned personal injury you mentioned uh, non-disclosure so i want to be very clear that your um, legal expertise when you were practicing attorney was in employment law and personal injury and business related is that That's correct right. yeah okay. I, I tried cases in those three areas for roughly 20 years Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So you know the ins and outs. Now, another question that I wanted to ask, have you ever had a mediation? I mean, and this is just me just asking just for for the fun of it. Have you ever had a mediation that, okay, we're going to start at 10 o'clock in the morning and the parties just, everybody wants to, no one's leaving until there's a resolution, but that resolution doesn't come until long after dinner? Oh, yes. That happens all the time. Really? Really All the time. (laughs) It does. It does. Okay. Many cases resolve within, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours. Some even more quickly than that. I I do offer half-day packages for folks who think that, yeah, we've only got a couple of issues to work out. It's not going to take us that long. Mm -hmm. But there are cases that go 10, 12 hours. There are cases that go multiple sessions, depending on the the complexity of Mm -hmm. the issues involved. So Mm -hmm. if I'm doing a business divorce case, for example, uh, where two parties have decided that they need to go their separate ways from a business that they develop together. I might sometimes suggest that we tackle it in multiple sessions because we've got multiple issues to deal with. For example, there's real estate, there are assets, there are liabilities, there's inventory, there's intellectual Mm. property. We may want to devote one entire session to how is the real estate going to be dealt with? We might devote one session to how are we going to deal with the assets and the liabilities? So different ways to do it. and, And that's really where the pre-work that I do with attorneys and sitting down and talking about in a realistic way what the issues are, who the personalities are, and what's the level of complexity that we're we're dealing with comes into play. But those single day mediations, yeah, I've had them start at 10 in the morning, go to 10 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. Do you stop for a meal break? You usually order food in and I'm shoveling it in while I can between sessions with, with different sides. So yeah, a lot of indigestion on those days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it, you know, it, the objective is to keep the momentum going towards your client, which you said is resolution, right? Exactly. So, precisely. Okay. Now the, the clients that you, that you work with, these, you know, other attorneys, they're your clients, they give you good referrals. They come to you. 
have you have you gotten multiple referrals from the same attorney? I mean, what's the yeah, how, how, I, I have. I think I'm on I think it's my fourth set of cases with two or three different attorneys. And then I'm on my fifth generation of cases stemming from one attorney. So attorney A hired me on a case with attorney B and then attorney B brought me on with attorney C and so on and so forth. I think five generations, it might, it's either five or six now. So that's a very common way for me to get business. That's, that's exemplary. I mean, that's, that, that speaks for itself that you, you know, again, you're, your skill set, your transferable skills, your intuition and your personality and wanting people to come together and get to a resolution, all of that ties together. And obviously it would seem to me that these referring attorneys, they keep coming back to you for that very reason, because your reputation is exactly that. It's the highest compliment that anyone can pay me is, is to want me on a second case or, you know, to give my name out to someone else when asked, that really is the highest compliment I can be paid. Very good. So now in the age of Zoom, which we've all become accustomed to in the last couple of years, and you mentioned cases where you've had to break up into multiple sessions to talk about inventory and assets and real estate and so forth. Have you had any of these cases that you've had to utilize Zoom because clients have been out of state? I've used Zoom almost exclusively, not entirely exclusively, but almost exclusively since since the pandemic hit. And what it's done is it's really allowed me to enlarge my practice region. So now I take cases that involve attorneys in Vermont, attorneys in Texas, Arizona. I'm trying to think of where else. Those, those are just a few of the places, Chicago. So I'll have cases pending. I, I recently had one where I had attorneys in two different states and clients in yet another state and another country all at the same time, which was kind of interesting. Oh, Thanks for my. some time zone challenges, but it's fun. I bet. I bet. I hope that wasn't one that went on for 12 hours. No, 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 no. Luckily it didn't because it would have been about three o'clock in the morning if it had. <laughs> for you? <laughs> for me, right. <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was pretty much going to be a hard no if that one went on past a few hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good. Um, so now... Can you give a story where you, you've had a mediation that, I mean, really, you, you sunk your teeth into it. All the clients, you could tell when they walked into the mediation, somebody was, they were all spoiling for a fight, but mm -hmm. you could just kind of feel everybody just kind of settle in and just, okay, we're going to cooperate with this. And it went a lot faster than you anticipated. That does happen from time to time, usually after the first venting or <laughs> the airing of the grievances if you're a, fe a festivist follower. But long story short, the way a mediation often works is I'll get everyone in, in to the, the mediation and then I will divide them up. And basically, I will speak to each side separately. And that's an opportunity for them to talk to me privately and really tell their side of the story in a way where they don't feel challenged by the other side being present. And that allows them to get past a lot of that emotion. So one of the things that I do when I have my pre-conference or pre-mediation conference calls with the attorneys is discuss, is it a good idea to immediately go to our respective corners and take some of that emotion out of the room? Sometimes it's important for them to talk face-to-face, -face, but many times it's important for them to feel like they're not under siege from the other side that they become more comfortable and they become more open and transparent and are able to vent that emotion, particularly for, you know, people who are involved in employment or personal injury cases, 
who are the plaintiffs in those cases, they need to tell their story. They need to be heard. And it's true in some business cases as well. Really? Okay. Well, can you talk a little bit about a business case? Would you mind where it, it, is, it seems strictly from, from both of the attorneys, it's strictly a business case, and then their clients come into the room and they are there is distraction because of the emotion that's displayed. And of course, you have to allow time for that to for that person to get it off their chest, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But it really took you by surprise and even to maybe even took them by surprise. Like they didn't realize they were going to get so emotional and they, you know, you just had to say, it's okay, let it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, has that ever happened too? That happens a lot in business divorce cases because mm-hmm. when you think about it, when you create a business with somebody, you are creating an, in some ways a family. So it's very much like a, a divorce between two individuals who've been married for years. You've created a business, you've created something together, and now you're forced to, with the difficult situation where it's got to be divided in some way. And and what you built together has to be changed or altered in some way. And that can be really, really emotional. It can be, you you may end up spending more time with your business partner than you do with your life partner in, in some cases. So you've got a lot of personal connection, You also have all of the anxiety that goes along with the financial considerations in question. Right. There can be a lot of, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of repressed emotion that comes out in these circumstances. And you just, you have to move through it and give the parties a chance to express it, but then redirect their attention Mm -hmm. to what they're ultimately going to look at as their best interests. Right, right. I can almost see it happening where you, you give them the time that they need to vent and just let the emotion out. Okay, fine. Then they collect themselves. And then you say, okay, gang, time to regroup and let's get back on track here. Here's our agenda today, right? I would think that that's how it's got to play out. Just Exactly, to- exactly. And and I do travel with Kleenex because <laughs> it's important to, it, it, you know, there are times where people come, get, end up going in tears or end up just becoming very, very emotional in ways that surprise them and surprise their attorneys. But you, you do come prepared for it. And when it happens, you just move past it. Very good. Well, I, I think that it, based on everything you're saying, I mean, I can see why you, you, you took to this like a duck takes to water. You know, you just, you love the mediation. You love being able to utilize your legal transferable skills and your people skills. That's that's a huge dis, uh, difference between what I did as a trial attorney for the most mm-hmm. part and mm-hmm. what I can do now. I can use those soft skills in a in a different way than I could as an attorney. You know, as an attorney, a lot of the time those soft skills were utilized in in two ways. Mm-hmm. One was to attract clients and get them to like me as a person so that they trust me with their business. And two was to get people to soften up when I was taking their depositions, for example. And mm-hmm. and that in that felt uncomfortable to me a little bit as a as a a person. Mm-hmm. It was important for me to do as an advocate, but it, it felt a little slimy to me at times. Now what I can do is I can use my soft skills to build that rapport in a way that's constructive and forward facing for everyone. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you come across as very authentic and genuine and certainly very skilled. And I, I agree with you. I think that with uh, when other attorneys over and over again, refer business to you, refer cases to you, like you said, I mean, that that's the highest praise that there is. Definitely. Very definitely. So now who is your ideal client? We've talked a little bit 
about the types of clients you had, but if you had to, you know, in 10 words or less or 15 words or less, who's your ideal client? Lawyers who have lots of cases in the employment, personal injury or business context that are scheduled for trial within the next 18 months. Hmm. That's succinct. That's perfect because we know that the court system is backed up because of you know what. Exactly. Um, oh, very good. Okay. And how can our listeners find you? There are a couple of different ways. My practice is Mariani Mediation Services. You can call me at 617-279-0540. You can also email me at amariani at marianimediation.com. That's all one word in the Mariani Mediation part. You can also find the information on my website, which is marianimediation.com or on LinkedIn as well. Okay, very good. Well, Amy, I would really like to thank you for the privilege of your time today, sharing your story with us. This is very compelling. As as a host, I always love hearing people's stories and what what drives them, what motivates them, what makes them happy in their work. And clearly you are a shining example for all of that. So thank you very much for being here today. I hope that you'll come back and visit us again. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. And so before we conclude, I'd like to thank my producer, David Yass, podfather extraordinaire of the Boston Podcast Network for making this show available on podcast outlets everywhere. I'm Kim Calvey, host of Communication Commandments and owner of Boston Edits. You can find me by Googling Boston Edits, spelled just like it sounds. My email address is kim at bostonedits.com. My phone number is 972-800-2406. And I have a LinkedIn profile under my full name, Kimberly Calvey. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Have a great day. <laughs>